0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Andrea Dukakis. Candidates for governor in Colorado are spending record amounts to get their messages out on TV, in mailers, and robocalls. But what messages are they sending? And could it really translate into a win next week? Journalist Sandra Fish is with me now. Hi, Sandra. Great to be here, Andrea. The primary election is Tuesday. Many people have already voted by mail. What are Republicans focusing on as they try to sway voters?
1: Well, for these Republicans in the governor's race, it's tax cuts and immigration, specifically getting tough on cities that don't turn over undocumented immigrants to the federal government. As Colorado's treasurer, I stopped the largest tax increase in state history.
2: Colorado, we have a sanctuary city problem. Law enforcement officers have had their hands tied by liberal politicians as they're forced to turn violent offenders back out on the street.
3: Look at California. They have the worst quality of life in America, the highest income taxes.
2: Those
1: are ads from Walker Stapleton, Doug Robinson, and Victor Mitchell. OK, those are the Republicans. Um, what about Democrats? Democrats are more focused on education, experience, and occasionally bashing President Donald Trump. Leadership and experience. That's why Governor Hickenlooper picked Donald Lynn to be lieutenant governor. And the state-
2: the
3: cost of child care is astounding. I know we can do a better job. That's why I'm running on a platform of bringing...
4: I'm Kerry Kennedy. I'm running for governor. And I've heard enough from Donald Trump.
3: Those
1: are ads from
0: Donna Lynn, Jared Polis, and Kerry Kennedy. So mostly positive messages on each side, except for some Trump bashing there. But recently, Governor John Hickenlooper, who's known for his wacky but positive TV ads, criticized some of the Democrats for going negative with their ads, What's that all about? Well, a super
1: PAC called Teachers for Kennedy, obviously supporting Kerry Kennedy, began an ad focused on her primary opponents, Mike Johnston and Jared Polis.
2: Colorado teachers are taking
1: a closer look at the candidates for governor. That Jared committee Polis also sent at least a couple program. of mailers attacking Polis. Polis and Johnston demanded that Kennedy tell the super PAC to knock it off, but she hasn't done that. So Polis came back with an ad with teachers defending him.
3: We are all Colorado teachers, and we are very disappointed by Kerry Kennedy's false attacks against Jared Polis.
1: Then, a super PAC supporting Polis called Bold Colorado went negative on his behalf.
3: I don't
4: like negative
0: campaigning. So some serious back and forth here. Have Republicans also gone negative? There's been some negative campaigning between Victor Mitchell, a
1: businessman, and the front runner on the Republican side, Walker Stapleton. Mitchell's trying to paint Stapleton as some sort of elitist, it sounds like here.
3: With Walker Stapleton in
5: office, it'll certainly be business as usual. Indubitably. (laughs) Don't vote for a Bush insider in Colorado.
1: Since then, both Stapleton and a super PAC, Coloradans for fiscal responsibility, are taking swipes at Mitchell, basically accusing him of being a liberal.
0: How can Vic call himself conservative? Stop Vic Mitchell before he betrays us again. So I'm going to plug your efforts here for a moment because you're tracking more than TV ads. We'll link to your website follow the message at cpr.org.
1: Yeah, I'm collecting mailers, door hangers, robocalls, that sort of thing in addition to TV ads and doing some analysis. Doing it for legislative, congressional, and other statewide contests in addition to governor. I'd love to see what's in your listeners' mailboxes, too. What stands out to you in those races? You know, maybe the most interesting is the 5th Congressional District centered in Colorado Springs. Four other Republicans are challenging incumbent Congressman Doug Lamborn, and it started getting pretty nasty last week. A federal super PAC called Clean Up Congress attacks Lamborn for voting for a budget bill that includes funding for Planned Parenthood. The super PAC is new, so we don't know much about it. Can't be sure who it's supporting or where its money comes
6: from. Here's how that ad ends. If you're pro-life, you can't trust Doug Lamborn. Vote no on Doug Lamborn. Vote yes for life.
7: Cleanup Congress Political Action Committee is responsible for the content of this advertisement.
1: You know, this ad doesn't mention that other Republicans, including Third District Representative Scott Tipton, also voted for this bill. And the challengers to Lamborn are also attacking each other in mailers. So how effective is TV advertising in a primary? You know, I wondered that, too. So I spoke with an expert, Erica Franklin Fowler at Wesleyan University. She said ads may be more effective in a primary compared with the general election because candidates from the same party are running against one another.
5: The name of the game really in the primary is name recognition because it is
0: really important to distinguish yourself from your opponents because that's part of the way in which you can rise out of a crowded field. And so being able to highlight how you
2: differ is
0: important. You've talked a lot about super PACs making ads about candidates. Is it unusual to see outside money at this level in state races here?
1: Yes, Colorado really hasn't seen this level of super PACs or independent spending committees. In state-level primaries in the past. Colorado really limits how much people or groups can contribute directly to candidates, especially compared with other states. So supporters look for other ways to back the candidates, and super PACs let them do that because they can raise unlimited amounts of cash as long as they don't coordinate with the candidates. The biggest super PAC spender is for former state Senator Mike Johnston in the Democratic governor's primary. It's called Frontier Fairness, and they've spent about $5 million much of it on TV ads. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg gave $2 million, and LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman gave $1 million to this group.
0: All of this is dwarfed by the amount Jared Polis is spending on himself. More than $11 million so far. Are all the candidates for governor getting the support of super PACs? No, they're not. Lieutenant Governor Donna Lynn is the only
1: Democrat without super PAC support. And Republican candidates Victor Mitchell and Greg Lopez aren't getting it either, though Mitchell is a multimillionaire who doesn't necessarily need that help.
0: Altogether, how much more spending and messaging is there now than in past elections?
1: All told, leading up to the primary, candidates have spent about $25 million, Mm. a lot more than in the past. And Coloradans will have seen more than $13 million worth of TV ads that would require nearly 24 days of viewing if you watch them all in succession. Erica Franklin Fowler from Wesleyan University, she's been tracking some of these ads.
0: In the governor's race so far through the I think I'd counted over 9,000 just on television, like local broadcast television alone,
2: which if you compare that to 2014, there were only 74 at this point.
0: So it gives you a sense of the, like, just crowded nature of the airwaves this year. Is there a point where voters just become weary of all these ads and don't pay attention anymore? (laughs) don't pay attention.
1: That's hard to say. I know people I've talked to are tired of watching these ads on all their TV
0: shows. Besides the super PAC spending, why else is the spending so much higher this year? Well, for one thing,
1: this is the most crowded governor's primary on both sides that we've seen in at least 40 years. There are four Republican and four Democratic candidates. And then there are the multimillionaires. We already mentioned Democratic Congressman Jared Polis and Republican businessman Victor Mitchell. They account for 57 percent of the TV ad spending in the governor's
0: race thus far. Well, Sandra, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Sandra Fish is a data journalist focused on money and politics. She's collecting and analyzing political messages at Follow the Message. We'll have more about that project at CPR.org. Primary day is Tuesday, and much of the state's attention is focused on the wide field of gubernatorial hopefuls. But there are plenty of other important races. This morning, we check in on three congressional primaries. Our first stop is Denver. That's where Colorado's safest congressional Democrat faces her most serious challenger in years. Diana DeGetz being challenged by a woman who, just a short time ago, wanted to break up with the party. CPR's Sam Brash has the story.
5: For decades, Syra Rao enjoyed a happy relationship with the Democratic Party.
0: Bill Clinton was the first person I ever voted
8: for in 1996. I named my ficus plant Hillary, knocked doors, fundraising, all that kind of stuff.
5: Rao is Indian American and worked as a Wall Street lawyer before starting a company that promotes kids' books by diverse authors. Then came 2016. Rao supported Hillary Clinton and even canvassed for Diana DeGette. But after the election of President Trump,
8: It became clear to me that the corporate part of the Democratic Party, sort of the establishment, wasn't interested in my issues specifically, so issues of racial justice.
5: Rao feels the party hasn't done enough to protect undocumented immigrants or end mass incarceration. So in December of last year, she published an essay in the Huffington Post.
8: Called I'm a Brown Woman Who's Breaking Up with the Democratic Party, talking about being a woman of color, feeling tokenized feeling used.
5: The op-ed went viral. Some Democrats attacked Rao's perspective, but others wanted to know if Rao felt that way. Was she going to leave the party or do something about it? So I hopped into the race in the middle of January. In a backyard in southwest Denver, Rao launches a group of canvassers to knock doors and hand out campaign literature.
8: We are completely on target to win this thing. We've already knocked over 27 thousand doors.
5: <laughs> Despite that optimism, it won't be easy for Rao to unseat Deget. The incumbent demolished her last primary challenger in 2016, winning 87 percent of the vote. But Rao has mounted a much more ambitious campaign. She outfundraised fundraised in the first quarter of this year, all while refusing to take any corporate PAC money. That stance is partially what attracted social Gaitan to Rao's campaign. But even more, Gaitan says that as a Mexican-American woman, identity matters as much as policy.
4: The simple fact that she is a woman of color and gets it and understands what it's like to live on the margins of society, to me, that made a huge difference.
5: When it does come to policy, Rao says she wants to defund Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, and eliminate all student debt.
8: And we're talking about people who are, again, working two, three jobs. They're sitting on a pile of student loan debt. They can't afford the rent. There is real distress here. And there's a real sense that nobody is listening.
5: To make sure residents are heard, Rao has pledged to hold a town hall in the district every month. She says DeGette hasn't done that enough.
4: I am offended by that allegation.
5: This, of course, is Representative Diana DeGette.
4: I come home every weekend. My husband and my dog and my kid live here. And I have an average of one town hall meeting a month.
5: That includes in-person town halls and telephone and Facebook town halls. At an ice cream social at a supporter's home in Cherry Creek, DeGette reminds the audience of her track record in Congress. As co-chair of the Pro-Choice Caucus, DeGette has fought for the repeal of the Hyde Amendment, which bars the use of federal funds for abortion.
4: Because what it says is wealthy women can use their insurance or their own money to get abortions. But poor women who are on Medicaid, they can't get one. And it really hits poor women and women of color.
5: And DeGette says that unlike Rao, she has the seniority to be effective on everything from women's issues to campaign finance reform, especially if Democrats retake the House in November.
4: The question is, do people want to elect somebody who will be one of the most junior members of Congress, or do they want to elect somebody who actually knows how to introduce a bill and pass a bill through Congress?
5: As for Rao's argument that Democrats have neglected women of color?
4: I think that the Democratic Party and our whole society really needs to address the issue of race, in a thorough and unvarnished way.
5: DeGette says her experience means she's well prepared for that discussion. Syrah Rao, on the other hand, is hoping the district's voters are ready for a fresh perspective. I'm Sam Brash, CPR News.
0: We're checking in on Colorado's congressional primaries today, and we head south now to Colorado's fifth congressional district, centered in Colorado Springs. For the past decade, Congressman Doug Lamborn has been a reliably conservative representative for this deep red district, but now he faces numerous primary challenges. CPR's Nathaniel Minor reports that this year the field is particularly strong and crowded.
9: The scene was a high school auditorium in Woodland Park, just west of Colorado Springs, on a recent weeknight. Welcome, everybody. Uh, first off, give yourselves a hand. Thank you for coming out. a great time. Four Republican candidates gathered to debate. It was sponsored, naturally enough, by the high school's debate club.
5: All right. Good evening to you all. I'm here to open up the first question, and let's just get some good discourse in here and really find out all we can The
9: candidates gunning for Lamborn's seat include a former local mayor and a former judge, as well as two higher-profile contenders, El Paso County Commissioner Daryl Glenn and State Senator Owen Hill. The four debated whether President Trump was doing a good job, how to prevent school shootings while protecting the Second Amendment, how to improve the nation's schools. Missing, though, from the stage was the incumbent, Doug Lamborn, who was home in the district that night. Hill seized on Lamborn's absence.
3: And candidly, as long as we have people who are on district work week right now, with nothing on their official schedule, unwilling to show up and answer to the voters, we need to do a better job of throwing the bums out of Congress.
9: Lamborn first won his seat more than a decade ago, but he's faced a primary challenge almost every election cycle since then. After the debate, Darrell Glenn said the person holding a safe Republican seat, like Colorado's fifth, should not just vote conservatively. They should be a leading voice for conservatives nationwide. And Glenn says Lamborn just hasn't done that.
2: And I think that he has operated at his skill level. But when I think about the fact that we need to have the 5th Congressional District on the map as far as leading the nation in a lot of these issues when it comes to freedom and liberty... And we're not going to do that if we continue to keep going down the same path.
9: Lamborn's campaign has been relatively low-key. I caught up with him a few weeks after the debate at a town hall with religious leaders. He was quick to tout his impact on the district. You know, I haven't
3: changed one iota since the day I've gone to Congress. I'm still the same person I always have been and just as conservative. But um, I now am learning how to get some great
9: victories to go along with it. Lamborn highlights his support for an Air Force colonel who was punished for his views on same-sex marriage and his senior position on the House Armed Services Committee, which he says helps him bring military resources to Colorado Springs. So I feel like I've got some great things going for me, and uh, that puts me in a class apart from my opponents. Political observers wonder, though, if that will be enough for the 6 term incumbent. Joshua Dunn is a political science professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And he says there are likely many voters in the district who believe Lamborn should have more accomplishments under his belt. But the sheer number of challengers could play in the incumbent's favor.
10: I mean, when I saw that Daryl Glenn got in the race after Owen Hill had already announced for the race, I thought that was a, a huge gift uh, to Doug lamborn And I still think that.
9: Dunn says voters will have to decide on record and style because there are few other differences between the candidates.
10: Yeah, if you actually looked at Daryl Glenn, Owen Hill, and Doug Lamborn, their positions on the issues, it would be difficult to get a piece of paper between them on, on the issues. One thing is
9: clear for Lamborn. Next week's vote will be his biggest electoral test of the year.
10: And if he wins his primary, November is a formality. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is what the third most Republican district in the country. (laughs) You there has to be some extraordinary scandal for a Democrat to have a chance of winning in this district. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like a Republican winning in Boulder.
9: Ballots are due back next Tuesday. I'm Nathaniel Minor, CPR News.
0: If Colorado's 5th congressional district is the most Republican in the state, CD6 is its most purple. Democrats have been trying to take the seat since it was redrawn six years ago, and they're hoping the political climate might finally be in their favor. Two Democrats are squaring off for the chance to try to unseat incumbent Mike Kaufman. As CPR's anne Maria Wad reports, those primary contenders are running two very different races.
2: Lots of candidates hope that their campaign ad goes viral. For Levi Tilleman, that happened pretty recently. In US,
8: we can have a secured canister of pepper spray in every classroom in America. It's just a- unbearable. It's like lava in your eyes.
2: In the video, Tilleman is sprayed directly in the eyes with pepper spray. What follows are shots of him dunking his head in a tub of soapy water and using a hose to wash out his eyes.
8: We have put out... So many innovative policies, and the media does not pay attention unless you do something spectacular.
2: And Tilleman believes it's had the desired effect. His answer to school shootings would arm teachers with pepper spray rather than guns.
8: The conversation is happening all around America and all around the world, and it's going to save lives.
2: Guns and gun control could be an issue in this purple district. Representative Mike Kaufman has an A-grade from the National Rifle Association and accepts campaign contributions from their advocacy group. Tilleman says he's trying to chart a middle ground. And his Democratic opponent, Jason Crow, says he's also concerned about it, too.
7: This is a district that has seen more than its share of gun violence. And I've been around the last few months holding town halls with parents and students and teachers. And I have students crying to me saying they're afraid to go to school. I've met with parents who have lost their children to gun violence.
2: Crow advocates for stricter gun control policies, like a ban on some types of firearms. Policy nuances aside, many see this race as a battle between different wings of the Democratic Party. Tilleman is a green energy entrepreneur who compares himself to Bernie Sanders. Crow is an attorney who advised Governor Hickenlooper and former Senator Mark Udall on veterans' issues. And while Crow runs a more traditional campaign, Democratic consultant Craig Hughes says Tilleman's campaign has been anything but.
3: In my opinion, Levi is running a bomb-throwing campaign. Whether that is serious or not, I'll let the voters decide. Is he talking about the issues that matter to the voters? Not from what I can tell. Is he more interested in tearing down than building up? Absolutely.
2: Tilleman made a splash earlier this year when he secretly recorded a conversation with a top House Democrat who asked him to leave the race in favor of Crow.
10: Levi, obviously I want to
2: talk to you about this congressional race. Instead, Tilleman leaked the muffled recording to the online publication The Intercept.
8: Yeah. I know you're fundraising
2: for Crow. Yeah. Craig Hughes, the Democratic consultant, wouldn't comment on the tape, but says Tilleman wasn't well known in the party before he got in the race. Crow, on the other hand.
3: Jason, I think, is somebody who would really put in A lot of hard work and a lot of effort for Democrats through the years.
2: Crow is also the candidate that party leaders believe has the best shot against incumbent Mike Kaufman. One reason is that Crow is a veteran and campaigns on veterans' issues, which has always been a focus of Kaufman's.
7: And I've spent the last uh, decade plus in this community fighting for veterans as well, from working to help bring the new VA hospital to Aurora to helping to get funding for the new Fort Lyons Veterans uh, Homeless Facility on the Eastern Plains here in Colorado to mentoring uh, dozens of veterans myself uh, and helping them make the transition from uh, military life to civilian life.
2: Pro has a massive fundraising advantage, raising one point six million dollars so far to Tillman's three hundred and twenty thousand, which may be why Tillman is trying to raise his profile by garnering as much national media attention as possible. He was recently interviewed by This American Life and went on Fox News to talk about the pepper spray ad. The Department okay. of
8: Homeland Security has three things. That no, they suggest you do just when staged a
2: reality a show in run in your head <laughs> and. As Democrats try to take back the House, Colorado's 6th District is a big piece of that puzzle, which makes this primary high stakes, according to consultant Craig Hughes. He points out that Kaufman won re-election handily two years ago, even though the district also went for Hillary Clinton.
3: It is a very tough district uh, to win, and I think you've got to have all of the right conditions going in your direction to win it.
2: But in a district with large minority and immigrant populations, President Trump may have created the right conditions for a Democratic win. But first voters will have to decide which Democrat.
0: I'm Anne-Marie Awad, CPR News. So key issues and candidates in the primaries for Colorado's first, fifth and sixth congressional districts. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Journalist Matt Masick of Denver traveled to the furthest reaches of Colorado. He literally visited every corner of the state. His quest took him from the remote eastern plains to the rugged country of the west. He wrote about his adventures for Colorado Life magazine. Matt, thanks for joining us.
10: Thanks for having me.
0: So we're going to be talking about each of the four corners of Colorado, not to be confused with Four Corners Monument in southwest Colorado. That's the convergence of four states, Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona. So let's talk about Colorado's southwest corner first. The monument allows you to be in four states simultaneously. I understand there's a controversy about whether that's the exact point where they all meet.
10: When I first started this project, that's all I ever heard. You know, it's not in the right place, everybody would tell me. It is in the right place. Maybe it's not in the exact place they intended to put it. But once they signed the law, that is the legit 100% official uh, corner. So when you go and stand on that monument, you are indeed standing in four states.
0: So in your article, you talk about the strange ways people can contort themselves to try to be in each of the four states at once. It was funny to imagine. What did you witness?
10: Oh, you got the the frog, which is kind of a squatting position. The log, the dog. Uh, you got a <laughs> uh, you got a, a two arms and two states and two legs and two others. Uh, it's kind of uh, you kind of look at the person and say, all right, are they going to do a frog? No, no, they're. they're <laughs> Uh, uh, So it's kind of a fun pastime.
0: You discovered that the Coloradans living closest to the actual southwest corner are Toyok, 22 miles to the northeast. They're in Toyok. It's the Ute Mountain Ute tribal capital. How much attention do the Utes pay to this corner?
10: Well, you know, if you grow up there, it's kind of a a fun day trip to take with your family. I I talked to uh, Regina Lopez-White Skunk, uh, who grew up there. And, you know, she liked to, as a kid, uh, bounce her pogo stick uh, in and out of the different (laughs) states there. Uh, But as an adult uh, and sort of uh, looking back through the lens of, of her people's history... These lines on the map are utterly meaningless. They've been there for for centuries, and uh, uh, moving uh, with the seasons and the the mountains and the the lowlands, and uh, the lines are are utterly irrelevant.
0: So they matter more to the tourists, right? <laughs> So, um, as we said, the t- southwest corner is a tourist attraction with the Four Corners Monument. What about the three other Colorado corners? What happened when you looked for the southeast corner?
10: Now, the southeast corner is uh, the is a, a three corners situation. You have Colorado, Kansas, and Oklahoma. Yes, we do have a mm. small border with the Oklahoma Panhandle, uh, and. Uh, Significantly less, significantly less uh, tourist action there. Uh, when our, <laughs> I was driving out there with our photographer, uh, we knew that they had a, a monument there. It looked like a windmill at the, the three corners, and, and on top was a weather vane saying which state was which. Uh, and uh, we were like, all right. We're driving down the road. It's going to be over the next ridge. It's going to be over the next ridge. We're going to find this windmill. It's going to be great. And then we, we look at our, our, our GPS thing. I said, wait, we, we passed it. So we, we go back and, and we, we see this twisted wreckage of that once was a windmill on the ground. This monument, this windmill monument, was put up in 1903. Uh, and oh, about a month before we visited, uh, a freak storm had blown it down. But uh, they are going to replace it sometime later this year.
0: <laughs> you found that cattle ranchers Tom Alton lives the closest to that southeast corner he's been there for more than 60 years Uh, when he plows his fields he uses a horse drawn plow What does he think about living so close to the southeast corner of the state?
10: Yeah, well, his main issue is when they, they, uh, the front-range uh, TV weather guys do the uh, uh, forecast, they stand in front of his corner on the map. Uh, and so uh, uh, that that's, that's the main way it affects him. Otherwise, he he is not really impressed with it. Uh, He's uh, 60-some years old, lived there almost his entire life, has visited the corner, which is only 10 miles away, only once. And that was only because he was sort of uh, cajoled into doing it for a ceremony. Uh, He's practical and uh, doesn't care for pomp and corners.
0: (laughs) How how did his family end up in that area in the first place? Well,
10: it's kind of weird. They came there in the 30s. Back in the 30s, that was the epicenter of the Dust Bowl. uh, but uh they they were in Kansas, about a hundred miles away. They packed up their uh shack where they're living on the on a wagon on the back of their Uh, steel-wheeled tractor and drove the 100 miles there, uh, set up camp and uh, have been there ever since. Uh, They are hardy people.
0: Yeah, they've had to continue to be resilient to contend with not just drought, but with blizzards and more since then. Tom Alton says you can't always figure it out. You just go along with it.
2: Mm -hmm. And then there's times, you know, it will promise you the most and it will give you the least. Rehound will you the least and they'll give you the most.
0: So that's a bit hard to hear, but he said there's times the land will promise you the most and give you the least, and times it'll promise you the least and give you the most. So let's head north, where you met Jim and Charlene Dolezal. They're a couple whose land comes within a quarter mile of Colorado's northeast corner. It's a nondescript stone marker. It stands in a small, fenced-off area along the side of the road. Do the local farmers care about this?
10: Oh, we take
7: turns mowing
0: it. Jim's family and farming history across the state line. Both their acreage and their marriage straddle Nebraska and Colorado. Charlene grew up in Nebraska. Jim is a Colorado native. But what's important to the couple is the crops they grow. We're all in it
7: to feed God's people.
0: Like Tom Alton in the southeast corner of the state, they've had their share of hard times, including devastating hailstorms and drought. And you got to
3: love it to do it, because yeah. some years, that's all you're going to get out of it is the love of doing it, you know, and, but
10: it's a wonderful life.
0: And finally, let's go to the last corner, the northwest corner. What was it like to get there?
10: Difficult. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, uh, growing up in Colorado. You think, oh, a uh, Craig and dinosaur; those are up in the in the northwest corner of the state. That, well, kind of, but uh, you're still about two or three hours drive from the actual corner. To get to the actual marker on the corner, there, uh, you have to drive into Utah. Then into uh, uh, Wyoming and then back into Utah uh, before you you actually reach it. It is in this ridiculously remote and rugged mountainous terrain where uh, very few people and maybe a few cattle and some elk.
0: It's not an easy drive on the road either.
10: Not at all. Uh, this is uh, uh, actually the the worst road I'd ever been on. Uh, in fact, our our photographer went out a month before, and uh, he actually got stuck overnight. The roads were so bad.
0: But your kids fell asleep while you were driving. Yeah, there. it
10: sort of jostled. I, I made a family road trip out of it. My my wife Erin and our, our two kids went along, and they thankfully uh, uh, fell asleep uh, on the way. <laughs>
0: So what did you see when you got there?
10: Well, uh, you get up there and there's this uh, hillside, uh, rocky, there's some uh, 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 forest, and you get to the corner and you know you're there when you see these three flagpoles sticking up. They, they don't have any flags on it because there's no one around to really keep track of them.
0: So you grew up in Colorado. Now that you've seen all four actual corners of the state, do you feel like these corners are more real or less real?
10: Oh, it's kind of weird. Uh, when, you, when you're standing on the actual corner, say you're, you're up at the uh, uh, northwest corner where Utah, Wyoming and Colorado all come together. And you're looking across this broken up, rugged landscape and, and you're trying to, in your mind's eye, draw the line across. There. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, you try to make it real, but it, it, you get a sense of just how artificial uh, uh, our boundaries are.
0: I want to end with a quote uh, I loved at the end of your story. Uh, Can you read it, uh, starting at uh, At the Corners?
10: Sure. Uh, At the Corners, I met people whose nearest neighbors live in other states but who feel a closer kinship with their fellow Coloradans hundreds of miles away. The lines on the map are imaginary. The bond we share with those within the lines are not.
0: What does that say to you about Colorado?
10: You know, we are just ridiculously diverse in terms of the people who live here and the the topography. Uh, uh, yet there is something that unites us. And and sometimes when there's rural urban uh, uh, debates and that sort of thing, you, you kind of lose track of it. But. I, I almost feel like it's a, a family thing. Like you might have cousins on the other side of the country. You don't have much in common with them. You don't see them that often. But there is just an underlying affection, if not love.
0: Would you take the trip again? Oh,
10: yeah. Uh, I And I want to see the, the new windmill when they put it up in the southeast. Uh, that's going to be good.
0: Denver journalist Matt Masick traveled to all four corners of Colorado for a recent story for Colorado Life magazine. Matt, thanks for being with us.
10: Thanks very much.
0: National parks are meant to be places for quiet and solitude. There's just one problem. Noise. It's a kind of pollution that doesn't obey park boundaries, and it's pretty much everywhere. CPR Sam Brash explains how students at Colorado State University are fighting the problem.
5: Ben, can I bug you, dude? Yeah, for sure. CSU sophomore Ben Bisher is used to kind of being in two places at once. Right now, he's here in a basement room crammed with students at computers. It's called the CSU Listening Lab. And through the magic of headphones, he's in the wide-open sagebrush of Mesa Verde National Park. We'll be getting into a jet soon with birds on top of it. Fisher has a bit of an odd college job. He listens to sounds recorded in national parks and assigns each one a numerical code. The prop plane is still flying. Even though it's further away, you can still hear it, so you still code a 1.2. Start coding some twos for car sounds. The human voices get an 8.1, the birds a 25. It all adds up to a bigger goal.
3: What we're trying to do ultimately is preserve wilderness.
5: That's Jacob Job. He runs the listening lab for a special part of the park service. It's called the Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division. It helps park managers find ways to turn down man-made noises.
3: Human-caused noises are typically low frequency in nature, so really deep sounding.
5: Like the cars underneath this recording from Colorado National Monument. They're typically repetitive, um, consistent Unlike those bird calls, which are higher and more variable. Job says those sorts of natural sounds are being increasingly drowned out.
3: There's noise everywhere. Commercial aircraft, roads are everywhere. And it is getting harder and harder to find true wilderness and true quiet.
5: Emma Brown is an acoustic biologist with the Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division. She says that's a problem because so many people visit parks to hear natural sounds, like this elk bugle.
6: So sound is a natural resource, just like clean air or clean water is, and it's our job to ensure that current and future generations can have
5: those experiences. And while humans might enjoy being able to hear those noises, she says animals, like elk, rely on them.
6: Lots of critical behaviors like communication or mating require that wildlife can hear each other.
5: That's why Brown's division records and analyzes sounds in national parks. George San Miguel is with Mesa Verde National Park, which recently completed a year-long sound survey.
3: We as park employees, we know where uh, it's very noisy and we have a sense of where Uh, Things are quiet, but we don't know how to quantify that.
5: Which is why he asked for help from the CSU Listening Lab and the Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division. They'll produce tables and graphs of the soundscape in Mesa Verde.
3: And so we'll be able to actually represent the facts to the public with these hard numbers.
5: And those numbers can make a big difference in how people experience the park. It's at work on a new management plan due out sometime this year. The sound data could help justify choices, like whether to require visitors to leave their cars and take buses to popular locations. Lab director Jacob Jobs says it's the students who make sense of the racket in national parks.
3: Sometimes I like to think of our lab as a black
5: box. Raw sound goes in and sorted numerical data comes out.
3: The students are the machinery in this black box that is helping to make meaningful change in the parks.
5: And they do it one airplane hum and bird squawk at a time. I'm Sam Brash, CPR News.
0: You're with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Andrea Dukakis. It's the first day of summer, and that means it's music festival season. Today we look at new music with CPR's Open Air. This summer marks the debut of Grand Doozy, a three-day festival in Denver's Overland Park. The long-running underground music showcase is getting revamped under new ownership, and New West Fest in downtown Fort Collins has its biggest lineup yet. Here to tell us about these festivals and more is CPR's open-air music director Jesse Witten. Jesse, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Andrea. The first festival that should be on music fans' radar is this weekend: the Westford Music Show case returns to downtown denver on saturday the one-day event has two outdoor main stages where headliners like electronica act bonobo and indie rock band sunflower bean will play there are also a few colorado bands playing including denver band wilderness let's hear some music from them now this is carry your heart
5: there was a shadow.
0: There are lots of other things going on at the Westward Music Showcase. Uh, Jesse, what can music fans look forward to on Saturday?
6: Well, it's a pretty exciting fest because it's the biggest single day of music in Colorado Mm. for the entire year. So it's a big, giant burst. And the local lineup really is astounding. It's curated with a panel of about 200 music industry and music lovers here in Colorado. So it covers a lot of ground. And not only are those two outdoor music stages an option, but you can basically just pick a venue and camp out indoors. So you can design it to be the festival you want it to be. So that's what I like about it.
0: So we'll move on to the Underground Music Showcase, or UMS, which takes place July 27th to 29th in Denver's Baker neighborhood. The Denver Post has run the UMS since 2001, but this year there's new management. What kind of changes will that mean? Well, it's being taken over by Two
6: Parts, which is a local events company that's really made a name for itself over the years, primarily with uh, craft beer events. That's really where they've shined over the years. But they're excited to move formally into this music area. And they're talking about keeping the things that make UMS so special. It's in the Baker neighborhood, very community neighborhood oriented. They're really passionate about keeping that. But expanding it into these new, exciting areas, they're going to have multiple outdoor stages Mm -hmm. as opposed to the one outdoor stage and they're also going to be, you know, tapping into their their resources and making some craft beer events on site for UMS this year, and making space for visual artists here in Colorado too. So that'll be a really exciting experiential development for Underground
0: Music Showcase. And what are some of the musical highlights at UMS this year? It's
6: thrilling. They've only announced one announced so far, so there's still more to come. But so far, you've got shining names like Diggable Planets, which is a hip hop group that's been around since basically the beginning of that genre. They've been doing reunion shows throughout uh, since 2005. But it's really exciting that Denver gets a piece of them this year. There's also some really exciting newer headlining acts like White Denim and an open air favorite, a band called Always, that just came out with a new record last year. It's called Antisocialize.
0: The next summer music festival you've picked take place, it takes place in downtown Fort Collins from August 10th through 12th. Bohemian Nights at New West Fest features some pretty big headliners this year. Who's coming to that event?
6: It's going to be pretty wild. And this is close to my heart. I'm from Fort Collins. This okay. is the festival that raised me. So it's exciting to see big names like the Decemberists playing this year. They've got a new album out. And Blondie is also going to be on that main stage. And they're anticipating such a big turnout for her that they're going to have her performance just kind of simulcast on the other stages. So even if you're not right in front of her, you can watch her on a big old screen.
0: Will you be there? I hope to be. Represent for Fort Collins. This event is free. And beyond those headliners, there are lots of Colorado acts. This, that includes a few recent guests on Colorado Matters, Brent Coles and Lost Walks. They're both Denver-based. What kind of presence will Fort Collins musicians have?
6: Well, you know, there's always a large Colorado contingency at New West Fest. They even had a year that was nothing but Colorado acts. But Fort Collins is always front and center. They're going to have a ton of Fort Collins favorites like Shell, Serpent Foot, Slow Caves, uh, the Patty Fiasco. They always Always represent and love their Fort Collins
0: artists there. You're with Colorado Matters. We're speaking with CPR's open air music director, Jesse Witten, about the upcoming summer music festivals in Colorado. Velorama was the new Denver festival last year and it returns to the Rhino area August 17th through 19th. The festival is part of a bike race called the Colorado Classic. One of this year's headliners is British rock duo The Kills. Here's their song, Doing It to Death. What else can people expect at Valorama?
6: Well, this is not like a normal music festival. This is Colorado to the core. It's primarily a bike festival. So if you're there during the day, you're seeing bike races that even have... Uh, competitions that account for bike style, which uh, Mm. is an exciting aspect I never think of as primarily a music lover. But there's something for bike lovers, music lovers. You'd never know that it was primarily a bike festival to look at this insane lineup. This year they have Cold War Kids, Glass Animals, Matt and Kim, Vince Staples. There are some real summery, fun bands playing the stage at that finish line this year.
0: So it sounds like both will be an attraction for folks going there.
6: Oh, yeah, and one can learn about the other. If you're there for the bikes, stay for the music. Likewise for the music and the bikes.
0: Finally, we have the festival that could be the biggest yet for Colorado. Grand Doozy comes to Denver's Overland Park in September. The headliners include music legend Stevie Wonder, Florence and the Machine, and recent Pulitzer Prize winner Kendrick Lamar. This one's called DNA. I got, I
8: got, I got, I got loyalty, got royalty inside my DNA. Peace, got war peace inside my DNA. I got power, poison, pain, and joy inside my DNA. I got hustle, though ambition flow inside my DNA. I was born like this, this born like this immaculate conception. I transform like this, perform like this. Was y'all a new weapon? I don't contemplate, I meditate. Then off your, off your head. This that puts the kiss to bed. This that I got, I got, I got, I got realness. I just cuz it's in my DNA.
0: There were a lot of people watching the development of this festival after it was approved for a five-year contract last summer. What else can people look forward to for the first ever Grand Doozy?
6: Well, this is a fascinating one because the company behind it is actually based out of state. They're called Superfly, and they're the company behind some of the most successful and massive festivals across the country they work with outside lands in San Francisco. They've got Bonnaroo in Tennessee. And though they're from out of state, they're trying really hard to ingratiate themselves in the Colorado vibe and the community. They're trying so hard that they're uh, they're offering something that they say will be an 80s-themed ski lodge. So they're really trying to make it Colorado-centric. I'm trying
0: to picture that.
6: I know. I think we'll just have to go and find out what's going on. I recommend costumes is uh, what it looks like from their website. Uh-huh. But their lineup is really what's going to set them apart because like all the other festivals we've talked about, there's that mix of national big names and local artists. They're doing that, but the caliber and the quantity of big national names is really something that Colorado's probably not seen to this degree so far. They have big acts like St. Vincent, the Chainsmokers, Sturgill Simpson, De La Soul, and that's all just to complement
0: those big headliners that we already talked about. It's going to be pretty strong. Um, wrapping up, are there any other festivals coming to Colorado this summer that music fans should know about? So many. Uh, starting today, actually, it's the Telluride
6: Blues Festival. Also, if you're talking about Colorado festivals and you really want to see some gorgeous surroundings, which of course, if you're seeing music outdoors in Colorado, why wouldn't you want that? It's the Rocky Mountain Folks Festival, and their lineup this year is pretty amazing, especially if you're a listener to Colorado Public Radio's Open Air. A lot of our favorite bands are going to be there. One of the new ones that we really have our eye on is river wireless it's going to be gorgeous to see them in lions
0: colorado any other ones
6: um, we've got a Rise Fest. That's going to be really exciting. It's got Thievery Corporation there, a local favorite, Dragon Deer, another local favorite, Gasoline Lollipops, who've come out with some exciting new music of late. They just stopped by the CPR Performance Studio the other day and giving us a lot of reasons to step out of our house and into the heat this summer.
0: And Telluride right, Bluegrass starts today, I believe. Um, Jesse, thanks so much for being with us. Of course. Thanks, Andrea. Jesse Witten is the music director of CPR's Open Air. You can hear her on the air from 6 to 8 p.m on weekdays. Thanks for joining us. And Open Air Summer Music Festival Guide is online at CPR.org. You can read about all the festivals we mentioned and several others coming up around the state in the next few months. We'll leave you with Granduzzi headliner Stevie Wonder. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.